1: Mike, thank you very much. Welcome to Overtime. I'm Scott Wagner. You just heard the bells. We're just getting started from Post 9 here at the New York Stock Exchange. We have more earnings breaking any moment from Pinterest, Take-Two and Activision. So much on the line for all three of those companies. And of course, our reporters are standing by to give us the details. We'll show you the stock moves as they happen. I'll also speak today to Fundstrat star technician Mark Newton on why the charts are telling him to stay bullish on stocks. So now he'll tell you where he thinks they can actually go from here. We begin, though, with our talk of the tape, whether it's finally time for the first time in a long time to play offense in this market. Let's ask Avery Sheffield, Vantage Rock co-founder, CIO, senior portfolio manager with me. Once again, here at Post Nights, good to see you again. Good to
2: see you, Scott. What
1: about that question? Is it is it time to start playing some offense? Because you've been kind of negative. Have you yes, changed yes. at all due to what's going on in I the market?
2: Know. So, I mean, we're we're fairly balanced. Um, we remain, uh, you know, we remain concerned about certain areas of the market, but uh, you know, we continue to be enthusiastic about others.
1: Do you do you feel like the move that we've had so far is justified? You know, I I ask you that. Barclays, for example, says their headline today, the price isn't right. Equities are trading too rich with respect to most outcomes. You agree or disagree?
2: Well, I think it depends on the stock. So I think that there are a lot of names that are very frothy, right? We're even seeing the meme stocks like in a massive rebound, right? So um, and meme stocks, some of which have potential bankruptcy filings, get moving around like I don't know, children bouncing on a trampoline or something. So, um, but but mostly up in the air right now. So you don't believe like any, any of that, that
1: hype, down. right? The it's like the. The most shorted names, the yes. unprofitable names, yes. the most speculative of names, and you use meme stocks as one sort of version of yes, that.
2: Yes, like I would be very cautious. I would be very cautious, expensive names that are pricing in a lot of growth because I think that the backdrop we're seeing, right, it's 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 mixed. I, I don't know that it's terrible. I mean, we're seeing some signs in, in the market that are much more positive than you would expect, right? Used car, used car prices have actually been up the past couple months. Like whoever would have guessed that that would be, I mean, just a little bit, right. but not falling anymore, right? The, the housing market it is of a week or so ago was off to a better than expected start. Um, you're seeing travel and leisure continuing to be strong. So there are areas that are still strong, but there are other areas where, and even construction outside of new home construction is still holding in there. So there's some things to be, like, at least feeling somewhat good about. Yeah, I mean,
1: sentiment's definitely gotten better. Some of the internals of the way the market's been been acting is better. I feel like the the bears are, in some respects, getting a little bit nervous, okay? Mike Wilson, Morgan Stanley, I know you know the name. Huge fan. While we (laughs) didn't get the definitive reversal last week for equities we were expecting, the door is still very much open for our call to play out. He's been negative. Though it could develop at a bit slower pace i.e., we thought things might fall apart by now, they haven't. But yes. we're still sticking to our guns.
2: Yes. So I, I've seen the, like, the signs of the things I just mentioned, as well as you know, consumer credit is deteriorating, but it's not deteriorating as much as people think uh, or thought it was going to. Um, you know, inflation in energy is, is negative now, right? Um, you've got it in, in natural gas and in oil. You also have food inflation. As I mean, Tyson's report, meat prices actually down year over year. Other areas of food inflation, there's still inflation, but it's at a decelerating rate. So those things, along with the strong labor market um, wage growth is decelerating overall but that might be mixed shift mm-hmm. um, It's fine basically the consumers in a better place so that's positive you know for the economy uh, so you know we're con- we're constructive kind of s- some consumer names that w- that are particularly cheap that are particularly beaten up that we think can outperform this environment and while they have moved nicely this past month they're still very cheap
1: does one start with an M?
2: Um, one does start <laughs> with now, and I know we've talked about this name before, and I'd like to be more diverse in like my <laughs> recommendations. I do have other recommendations, but this one is like particularly Macy's. interesting. Macy's. Macy's, exactly. So Macy's is, I, I think, remains very interesting, and and what the reason we like it is really, um, you know, there's been really a transformation in how the management is approaching um, their business, right? They've been very tight on costs, incredibly tight on inventory management, and also on merchandising. They're going to be launching numerous new private label brands. Um, they're also they're also you know reengaging with their brands in a very constructive way, looking for new brands. So uh, you know, will Macy's get to the other side and become the, the is as uh, as compelling of a retail destination as the old Macy's? I don't know, but they have many shots on goal, and the stock in this in who knows where earnings are going to be, be this year is trading at about six times this past year's earnings, which we know are you know, fairly much in the bag because they basically pre-announced in early January. And, you know, so we you know with a stock in kind of the low to mid-20s, with having made over $4, and made two fifty dollars pre-COVID, taking out enormous costs, like I feel like there's a real margin of safety in valuation with a management team that really knows what it's doing. I mean, I'm
1: glad you mentioned the consumer. It's one of the reasons why people like Mike Wilson say, well, okay, maybe this develops at a slower yes. pace because the yes. consumers remained strong. Yes. The Fed hasn't been able to really Crack the labor market. Yes. My question, though, and by the way, Take-Two and Activision, they are out. We're going through it. You're going to hear from our reporter momentarily. We'll show you what both stocks are doing. But it sets up tomorrow for Powell's speech. Yes. And whether the jobs report on Friday is a problem now for what he might say tomorrow, different from what he said in the middle of the week, of course. When they had the decision, JP Morgan's Marco Kolonovic just added another hike to his outlook, right? They're gonna go again in May. Says it quote, pours cold water on the Goldilocks soft Goldilocks soft landing trade.
2: Look, I mean I think that the the strength we're seeing suggests that things will be better for longer, and that means rates will be higher for longer. What I think that does though is that puts more pressures on enterprises because wage, the labor market market is tight. Wages are going up. So they're trying to save in other places like the cloud, like enterprise software. I think that's dramatically underappreciated by the market because those stocks are still very expensive. Oh, you still think Pricing software it. is
1: too expensive still?
2: Absolutely. Yes. Huh. Very expensive. Most, I mean, not necessarily every software stock, but yes, in, as, by and large, it's very expensive. And people are acknowledging that software spending is slowing, but they all think it's going to pick up in the back half of the year. I'm like, why is it going to pick up in the back half of the year? Maybe it was overbought. Maybe also the companies are dealing with wage inflation. And so they don't have as much money to spend on software because the labor market is tight. The same thing with the cloud. These stocks are are expensive because people think this is just a minor cyclical blip. But maybe it's actually a structural shift in the demand for these products moving forward because of the overbuying, because Hmm. of other pressures on their cost structure. And that's actually where you should be more cautious and conservative. So
1: does that mean you're more negative on tech as a whole because because of that?
2: Yes, we are. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. You don't
1: think valuations have corrected enough?
2: No. No. And they've, and they've really expanded a lot. This well, not, not all. Not, not, not all. all. But I mean, look, we do own a couple companies like, in the tech space, but we're very selective. We're very selective because we think that's an area where there's still too much fraud. Wow.
1: We're looking at uh, Pinterest here, which has reported as well. You'll hear from Julia Borston in uh, just a moment. Guys, just tell me when she's ready. The stock's down some and it has fared better than a lot of social media stocks but like many in the tech universe we're talking about slower revenue growth and trying to adjust to that and adjust multiples to everything that's happening there. The video game uh, makers are out as we said too. Activision and take two our Steve Kovacs going to come on with us uh, in just a moment too but this is one stock to keep an eye on here. Uh, you got an outsized move i think it's fair to say uh, down some 14% from shares of, of pinterest we were looking for 5% revenue growth so i'm looking out for that number just to give you an idea it was 20% revenue growth in the fourth quarter of 2021 year on year just dramatic decline and the full year number for revenue growth was even more stark in terms of how much it has corrected itself. But we'll get you the full story there. Mega cap tech. I want I want yes. you to give me an opinion on that cuz that is not in the same universe as yes. I know what you're speaking to. Yes. So
2: we like some mega cap tech. And I'm not going to name names on mega cap tech, but there's there's some mega cap tech that we like and it's I mean you could guess because there it's the the, le- the less expensive names that um in you know in in one case have, has uh, a real, a real. They, both of them have significant cost savings opportunities that they are starting to execute on that we think will help
3: like protect Alphabet? from.
2: It will help <laughs> protect from a weaker, demand um, environment on advertising. See, I
1: play along well. You don't have <laughs> exactly. to mention the names. Exactly. I'll mention the names. Exactly. It's like exactly. telepathy. I'll, yes. I'll try and figure it out yes. myself. It's it's a it's a guessing game. Um, guys, we go into. Who's ready? Tell me again. Julia Borson is ready on Pinterest. Hey,
4: Julia. Hi, that's right. Pinterest earnings actually beating estimates with an adjusted earnings of 29 cents per share, 2 cents better than expected. But revenues falling short of expectations coming in at $877 million versus the $886 million that were anticipated. Also, monthly active users coming in a bit shorter than the anticipated growth. The company adding 5 million monthly active users um, to finish at $450 million. Um, the, the analysts had expected the addition of about 7 million. So Short there, but I actually think the main reason the stock is trading down over 11% right now is the fact that the company is guiding to revenue growth in the low single digits for Q1, and saying that takes into account slightly lower foreign exchange headwinds. Um, but I think what's key here is that analysts had been anticipating Q1 revenue growth of 7%, expecting 5% revenue growth in Q4. The company reported 4% revenue growth, and also expecting much better than expect much better than the company guided to 7% revenue growth in Q1, whereas in fact here they're seeing low single digits. So I think that's the source of the shortfall. Also just want to point out here that the board of directors authorized a buyback of up to $500 million and also that the CFO, Todd Morgenfeld, is leaving after six years. Stock now down about 10%. Scott?
1: All right, Julia, we'll hear more from you, I'm sure of that, Julia Borson. By the way, we're going to hear more on the whole buyback issue, too. As you might have heard, the uh, Biden administration is really upping its ante in, in their battle against what companies are doing in terms of buybacks. We have more coming up in just a bit. In the meantime, let's add more voices to this conversation. Lauren Goodwin is portfolio strategist at New York Life Investments. Samir Samana, senior global market strategist at Wells Fargo Investment Institute. Good to have both of you. Lauren, you're here. I mean, you heard what Avery had to say about the rally. Um, it's still not very much liked, this, this rally. Do you like it any more than you you had in the past?
5: I don't like it at all. See? <laughs> I don't that like it I at said? all. That's what I said.
1: Everybody's so negative.
5: Look, I... Um, still. We... As wild as this economic cycle has been, I actually see the evidence pointing towards further slowdown and recession as being clearer than it's ever been. I mean, the again, weird economic cycle, not weird in the way that the indicators have developed. Housing, manufacturing, typically the first sectors to topple, they've toppled. Then would come services. Paying close attention to that, and then. The consumer in the labor market. And so the fact that the labor market is still strong only suggests to me that we could see uh, further movement, at least from the market's perspective, on where the Fed will go. Uh, Downward pressure on economic growth, downward pressure on valuation. So look, Nice, growthy, high beta rally, a good example of why it's so important to stay invested across the cycle. But I'm using this oppor- this opportunity, this rally, to reposition, reallocate. Oh,
1: a seller, a seller on the strength. Uh, Samir, you, you also don't think it's a good time to be buying stocks.
6: You know, let me start with kind of the North Star, right? Our, our target for year-end on the S&P is 30, you know, 4300
1: to 4500
6: So we do see the markets ending higher at year-end. Um, you know, when I was on a couple of weeks ago, the S&P was south of 4,000. The 10-year was closer at 330, and that was probably a pretty good time to put money to work in equities, right? The equity risk screen was at a much higher level. Now you've got a 365 on the 10-year, and you're north of 4,000 on the S&P, as high as 4,200 last week. So it probably isn't a bad time to pull back on some of these high-flying names now. That being said, you know, look, there are areas that do very well if the Fed does have to go further from a rate standpoint. There are more durable areas like energy, like healthcare, which have been you know, kind of left behind in this rally. And we think there's a really good opportunity there.
1: All right. I'm going to jump back uh, to our reporter, Steve Kovac, because he has more now for us on Take Two
3: and uh, Activision. Steve, what do we have? Yeah, take a look at Take Two shares, Scott. They're down about 2 percent here on a revenue miss. Um, and also some weak guidance. Let me go over the numbers real quick, though. EPS is a 91-cent loss. We're not comparing that to estimates, though. Revenue also a miss, $1.38 billion versus $1.46 billion adjusted that was expected. And then that guidance also uh, lower, coming in lower than expected, $1.31 billion, ranging up to $1.36 billion. Street looking for up to $1.5 billion for that revenue guidance for the current quarter. And some interesting comments here, Scott, from CEO Strauss Zelnick, just talking about the macro conditions that caused them to miss these estimates, even their own lowered guidance that they gave last quarter. Uh, let me just read this quote real quick. Uh, quote, as we believe that consumers shifted their holiday spending toward established blockbuster franchises and titles that were offered with pricing promotions in light of macroeconomic conditions, also announcing a $50 million cost reduction plan. That includes layoffs. No detail in this release, though, how much is there. So cost cutting like we've seen through so much of tech. Um, I'll move over to Activision real quick. Obviously, this stock only trades on any uh, news on the Microsoft deal, but they are reporting EPS of 78 cents. We're not comparing that to the buck 51 the street was looking for. Revenue, though, that's a beat. $3.57 billion versus $3.16 billion adjusted, likely due to that new Call of Duty game that was just setting records like crazy, Scott. Uh, I'll have more of when the call starts from take two just in a couple minutes here. OK, Steve Kovac, thank you very much. You Look got forward it. to
1: talking to you again in just a moment. Back to our conversation on the markets with Lauren Samir uh, right here on set. Um, are you worried about Lauren, what what Powell might say tomorrow in his speech?
5: I expect that Powell is going to be as remarkably consistent as frankly, I've read him to be over the past several months, which is to say, look, we've expected that a terminal rate in the five to five and a quarter percent range is an appropriate place to pause and let these long and variable lags play out. Um, the market hasn't believed us. And based on the jobs report that we saw on Friday, are the Fed's estimate may have been a little bit better. Now, we haven't seen the market meet the Fed yet. And so that's one of the reasons why I do expect that we'll see some of the growthier high beta uh, bump that we've seen in the last six weeks unwind in the weeks that follow. Do you
1: think that Powell makes a concerted effort to try and bring the market closer to him, so to speak?
5: Well, I think that one of the um, interpretations that the market had after the press conference last week was that Pal had given up the gun, especially on the, the financial conditions question. But the reality is, is that this is actually an appropriate time to say, you know, the risks are pretty balanced Um, from a Fed funds rate perspective. We have a couple hikes to go. That's not that much compared to how much has already happened. It's appropriate to start to slow our roll. Now, whether that's really good news or not is, I think, the gap between what Powell is saying and what the market is expecting. I, I, I don't think that sticking around five and five or five and a quarter for nine months is, particularly good news for the trajectory of the economy. And that's what it's going to take to break the labor market and to break inflation.
1: You know, Samir, you have a take that's certainly different from others who have come on recently. You like the U.S. over international. And there have been a flood of calls that are the exact opposite of that. Why are you making that
6: yeah, I mean, it's it's still much too early. We think there are some opportunities that are starting to emerge in the international space. We would stick to developed there over emerging. We think, again, because of what's going on with China with geopolitics, emerging markets are a long ways away from a place where you want to put money to work. But really, I mean, U.S. firms are just so much more profitable than their peers. I appreciate that the valuations are higher, but there's a reason for that. It's because they do tend to be much more resilient, and much better operators than what you find internationally.
1: But I mean, the, the, the jump in international stocks has certainly been more impressive than U.S., no?
6: It's all the dollar. Right. And that's that's basically what's happened is the dollar got as high as around 115 and went all the way back to about 100. Um, and now what you're seeing is as the dollar slowly makes its way back up, Internationals underperformed for the past week or two. So, again, we think the dollar probably trades in this wide range. We think 105, 106 would be a good place for it to go next, especially if the you know, market reprices the Fed's path. And that may be an opportunity to start to get a little bit more involved in, in the international side.
1: The last thing I want to do is have a a bit of a debate right here on the desk about tech e-commerce. You like Lauren, Avery? No like. You don't like it, right? Why do you like e-commerce here? Because, I mean, it's a pretty good debate in the market right now whether this move in tech is legit or not, about to reverse.
5: I oh, I hate to, to mess up the debate, but I actually don't like e-commerce as an equity play. I do think that as a structural change that the markets have experienced in areas like real estate, it's really interesting. Um, not necessarily positive, but really interesting. So allow me to explain. Um, e-commerce increases steadily over the course of the last 20 years since the internet was invented. Huge structural uptick when the pandemic hits. Um, That is a structural shift in adding to the the office space shift that we've seen post-pandemic in the the types of spaces that are going to be needed, the way that they need to be used, et cetera. And so I think that the the changes in e-commerce have been enormously important in the way that growth equity has outperformed over the last couple of years. But we are moving away from the pandemic environment. Mm -hmm. We're moving away from low rates, low stable growth and inflation. And that's not an environment where I necessarily expect any of these names to outperform.
1: Avery, last word to you.
5: Yes. So
2: um, I... I completely agree. Like, e-commerce has actually had a massive structural shift on the entire economy. I actually think it's one of the reasons why the labor market so tight. When you look at the jobs numbers and where have jobs really increased since the pandemic, but even further back than that, like warehousing and e-commerce related jobs um, have been a real driver. And I think that's one of the reasons why we're going to see a tighter labor market. That said, we have not really seen any very economically feasible business models in e-commerce. And as e-commerce growth slows, I think that presents real challenges for e-commerce companies. All right,
1: we're going to leave it there. Everybody, thank you. Avery, thank you. Lauren, thank you. Samir, we'll talk to you soon. Let's get to our Twitter question of the day now. We want to know, was October the bottom for stocks? You can head to at CNBC Overtime to vote. We'll share the results coming up a little later on in the hour. We're just getting started, though, here in Overtime. Up next, going for growth. Top tech investor Eric Jackson is up big this year, thanks to some serious exposure to a number of high-flying growth names. Can that rally last, though? We're going to ask him what he thinks. And later, we're following those late breaking developments out of Washington. The president expected to take even bigger aim at corporate buybacks in tomorrow's State of the Union address. We have the full details ahead on that. We're live from the New York Stock Exchange. Overtime is right back.
0: You seek the key.
1: We're back in overtime. Growth stocks have been on a tear this year. Just look at these year-to-date performances from the likes of Arc, coming off its best January ever, maybe its best month ever. Uber, Shopify, Tesla, Coin, just a few. Look at that. Coinbase up nearly 110%. Obviously, crypto has been on a huge run as well. My next guest in all of those names, Eric Jackson of EMJ Capital, joins me now. I mean, last year was rough. So you're off to a great start. No shock. I think it's your best month ever. A little birdie told me that. Uh, you really think this can continue? Congratulations, by the way.
7: Hey, thanks, Scott. Thanks for having
1: me. Can this really continue, though? I mean, you really expect it to?
7: Well, listen, Scott, when I was I was on with you in December and I said then, uh, even though we were in the depths of market pessimism at that moment and the tax loss selling that I, I didn't know if it was going to happen in January, but I said, watch the CPI number. When that drops below 6.6%, it could start a huge market rally. Because last time that happened was in August of 1982. It started a 10-month rally. When it dipped below that number, uh, the market participants said, hey, the the Fed's finally got inflation licked. And that 10-month rally led to a 100% increase in the NASDAQ back then, 110% increase in the Russell, a 70% increase in the S&P 500. So, yeah, unlike a lot of, uh, you know, market strategists that come on the network and are hesitant and nervous and, say, sell the rally, we could be in month one of what could be a 10-month rally ahead of us this year, which nobody's well, expecting. Well, because they, they say, well,
1: it's such a reversion to the mean. It's, it's a lot of short covering. It's totally speculative. I mean, look at Bitcoin, right? Is, is You think the bounce in Bitcoin is legit, for example? I ask you almost, you know, rhetorically. So, they suggest that this is all early year action and it's sure to fade. How do you respond to that?
7: Look, consensus is usually wrong. I mean, nobody thought anything was really gonna come out of Jackson Hole. Um, It ended up being this huge negative catalyst for the market. Everybody coming into the Fed last week said it's gonna be another Jackson Hole drubbing on the head of the market. And it was just the opposite. NASDAQ was up 3.3% for the week. Dow was negative for the week. So you know, consensus has uh, you know a poor track record over time. A lot of people obviously coming into this year are were you know leaning on one side of the boat, and we are just getting the opposite. Now last year they can point to the June rally to you know early August, and that that got faded, and they think that's going to happen again. Does you know history doesn't always just repeat itself? This could be the start of of something much much bigger. What happens if Powell tomorrow
1: is a little more hawkish now to try and bring the, you know, the, the train back in, in, into the middle, so to speak? Do, doesn't that have uh, the possibility of, if, you, know what, you know what's going to happen, right? If, if, if rates move up in any meaningful way, those stocks aren't going to be higher.
7: Well, Powell was a ball and chain on me and a lot of investors in 2022, um, you know, me looking at tech stocks. Uh, in particular, it didn't almost didn't matter what these companies did fundamentally. Uh, it was just Powell was constantly coming down uh, and raining on everyone's parade. I was I'm feeling positive going in, into this year and even before last week's meeting, but definitely coming off off the heels of last week's meeting. That you know it really doesn't matter what Powell says anymore this year or other Fed heads. Of course, they have to keep talking down things, but the market is looking ahead. Uh, this, this, you know, there has been enough pain, especially in tech land, where multiples have, have contracted so much over the last two years. I don't know what people who, who say you know tech tech is still expensive are looking at. They're not looking at the same stocks I am. A lot of stocks are back to 2017 levels. You know, a lot of SaaS stocks are back to like 2014 levels. So I think enough work has been done in taking the air out of those stocks where we can have a, a meaningful rally, and it can continue this year.
1: So of the ones that we mentioned, Coinbase, Shopify, Tesla, Uber, which do you have the most excitement around over, let's call it, the next couple of months?
7: I think Coinbase is still underappreciated, even up 100% this year, because this thing is still cheaper on an EV to to revenue basis than Charles Schwab. Uh, It's the dominant crypto market exchange. They're going to have likely 120 million verified users by the middle of this year. They, you know, they're they're one of their big competitors imploded a few months back. FTX they got the dominant uh, part of that of that market share, uh, which the market really didn't price in. Uh, also, I'll point out that Toby Lucky, who's the founder and CEO of Shopify, is on the board of, of Coinbase. He bought three million worth of Coinbase stock on the open open market himself in December, January, at an average price of 38. If this thing you know goes back to not twenty twenty one levels but in terms of ARPU you know for their bigger user base now back to twenty twenty levels and it gets a premium to a schwab type multiple, this could be a three hundred dollar stock before the end of the year
1: you know i'm I'm looking, you mentioned shopify and i'm I'm looking at it as we speak, and I see that it's up sixty percent over the last three months now I'm guessing that a lot of that has happened over the last month alone, but also next to that nice column that says. P.E., it says not applicable because it's not profitable. Right. So, you know, that goes back to the whole idea of people willing to start buying these unprofitable tech stocks again in any meaningful way. And those who cast just simple doubt on the prospects that they will.
7: Well, but in their case, a couple of weeks ago on a blog post, they announced that they are raising not cutting raising prices by 33 34% across all different types of customers. So if you take that price increase if you assume that they're going to roll that out as this year rolls on, by my math by the end of this year they're going to have 2 billion in EBITDA when they ha- you're right they have been a profit challenged company. They've also taken the medicine probably listen to, to the likes of Brad Gerstner of the world of, of doing a big, big uh, job cut. So, you know, we have that to look forward to in terms of, of them b- being even more profitable this year. Uh, and if they get a little tailwind uh, from, you know, m- more business and so forth and, and uh, the weaker uh, dollar, then then that's going to add to the party. That's that's another one that I think could have huge upside ahead of it this year. All right. We'll, uh, we'll see what happens.
1: Eric, I appreciate it. Uh, certainly off to a great start. Uh, to the year. We'll see if it continues. That's Eric Jackson joining us once again. Do not miss, by the way, Tesla investor Ron Barron's going to be on Squawk Box tomorrow morning, 7.30 a.m. Eastern time. It's time for a CNBC News update now with Kate Rooney. Hi, Kate.
8: Hi, Scott. Here's your CNBC News update at this hour. In Turkey alone, some 15,000 search and rescue workers are looking for survivors of this morning's massive earthquakes. Thousands more are combing through rubble in Syria, but some are still waiting for the search to begin for their loved ones. The death toll has now risen above 3,100 with another 15,000 reported injured. The Pentagon is releasing some details about the suspected Chinese spy balloon. A top general says the balloon was over 200 feet tall and was carrying at least 2,000 pounds of equipment. He says the large size was a factor in waiting to down the balloon until it was over the Atlantic Ocean. Divers are now searching the debris field, which is spread over nearly an entire square mile. And in New York, police say an 82-year-old woman was pronounced dead in her nursing home, only to be found breathing at a funeral home. Three hours later, she has been taken to a hospital. No details yet on her condition. The case has been referred to the New York Attorney General's office. Scott, back to you.
1: Oh, my goodness. All right. Uh, Kate, thank you. That's Kate Rooney. Up next, late breaking developments out of the White House. President Biden now expected to turn up the heat big time on corporate buybacks. That's in tomorrow's State of the Union address. We bring you the very latest, what the implications are for you, the investor. Overtime's right back.
9: Take
1: a look at shares of Pinterest and Skyworks, both companies reporting results in the last 30 minutes, both announcing new buyback programs. And now the Biden administration upping the ante in its war against corporate stock buybacks. Let's get right to Eamon Javers with more on this developing story. Eamon, what do we know here?
10: Well, Scott, we know that the White House is signaling what the president's going to be talking about in the State of the Union tomorrow, including a new tax on corporate buybacks. The president, according to the White House uh, just a couple of hours ago, is going to call for quadrupling the tax on those corporate stock buybacks. The White House making the case here that those stock buybacks are a way for companies to pass tax-advantaged payouts to oftentimes foreign investors or wealthy investors, rather than through dividends, which investors would have to pay taxes on. So they're saying they're going to up the tax. on that if the president gets his way. Certainly going to talk about it tomorrow night in any case. Also, this billionaire minimum tax. The White House putting out a line item here uh, saying that the president's going to talk about this billionaire minimum tax uh, tomorrow night, given that He doesn't think it's fair uh, for billionaires to pay 0% tax or a very low single-digit tax. Uh, He's going to propose that minimum as well. All of these, Scott, you can look at as talking points tomorrow night. Remember, Republicans just took over the House of Representatives. Not likely that the president is going to get through his wish list of agenda items uh, through Kevin McCarthy and the Republicans who are in control of the House. But he's going to signal where he would go if he was in charge.
1: Yeah. And uh, stay with me. I I want to do more on this. Let's bring in Ben White, Politico chief economic correspondent and a CNBC contributor. Ben, it's good to have you join the conversation. What's your reaction to this, if you want to call it, proposal? I guess Chevron at 70 billion and Meta at 40 billion, among others, touched a nerve.
9: Absolutely did, Scott. I've been talking to some people in and around the White House about this. uh, After it came out and I agree with them completely that this is uh, political messaging. They're not going to get a quadrupling of the tax on buybacks. I mean, if you remember the inflation reduction act that they got through, they wanted 2% in there. It got knocked down to 1%, um, you know, which is relatively minimal. Republicans complained at the time. Well, that opens the door to going up from there, but not under these circumstances, not with Republicans in control of the house, but it is good politics. I mean, if you look at the polling on it, uh, it's popular generally, soaking it to Wall Street, anything. You can make the argument that buybacks are used in very useful ways uh, and you don't wanna gum up the flow of capital with more taxes, but it is a popular political argument right now, so much so that there are some Republicans like Marco Rubio who like to talk about uh, hitting buybacks as well. Uh, So this they think is good politics along with the Buffett tax, the billionaire tax, things that are not going to happen between now and 2024, but they like where they are on it politically.
1: See, Eamon, Ben raises an interesting point that it's not like no Republicans have been talking about the issue. And I'm just wondering more broadly where Republicans as a whole in Congress would be coming down on this issue. Because let's be honest, it's, it's not as though the alleged party uh, of business has been all that friendly to business over the last couple of years, certainly willing to engage on, on some issues that they may not have in years past.
10: Yeah, I think that's absolutely right, Scott. And you can see a universe where there's sort of a populist argument for some of these things. But I think practically, uh, just in the red versus blue uh, team sport that we're in in Washington these days, if these ideas come out of Joe Biden's mouth at the State of the Union, you're not going to find Republican support for them, even though you know you might say, see a populist argument for it. But you were exactly right, Scott, to put your point your finger to the oil and gas companies. Here's a line from the White House press release on this earlier today. They say, last year, oil and gas companies made record profits and invested very little in domestic production and to keep gas prices down. Instead, they bought their own stock, giving all that profit to their CEOs and shareholders. So oil and gas companies certainly got the attention of the White House. And that's part of what this is about, is that at a time when the White House was really anxious to be bringing gas prices down, the oil and gas companies weren't doing that. They were doing buybacks.
1: I I guess, Ben, also one of the questions is is how would... Um, increasing the tax let 's just for argument's sake say it, it, it happened to even some degree ha- how that would influence corporate behavior and I bring to your attention a, a CNBC CFO council survey fifty five percent of CFO said such proposals would in fact impact their behavior as it, as it relates to buybacks
9: Yeah no, I think that it would not at one percent, but if you quadruple it then you have a much more uh, significant chance of altering uh, CFO behavior and how they, uh, you know, use their capital either for dividends or buybacks and be less likely to to do buybacks, which, of course, we know can be, uh, you know, anti-dilutive and, and be useful uh, in M&A and other transactions. Um, but, you know, Emin is right that uh, the White House is incredibly angry over the Chevron buyback. I think that may have been the thing that pushed this into the State of the Union uh, and oil and gas more broadly, uh, what they view as taking uh, you know too many profits and uh, you know soaking everybody with gas prices and then not doing anything with it but enriching themselves so that may have been uh, what brought it to be but yeah at four percent I think you're talking about real money at one percent obviously you know stocks gyrate enough that it, it doesn't make that much of a difference but uh, you quadruple it uh, then it will change behavior for sure
1: of course I Amy mean, it, it just goes to the the bottom line question of that I know some will have is you know who is Congress to determine how a you know a, a business uh, um, uh, a, um, a, a huge business, you know, a um, multi-global business, sure. a global business, excuse me, to how, how, how should they influence or sure. why should they yeah. be able to influence how a company should use its cash?
10: Well, because of the United States Constitution, right? I mean, they they write tax policy, that's why. Um, And look, you can do all sorts of things in tax policy to incentivize behaviors that you like. That's why politicians like tinkering with tax policy, right? You can uh, create incentives to do things you like and create disincentives to do things you don't like. In this case, though, This is not happening. Uh, This is maybe, you know, the the president could talk about his campaign for a second term, uh, maybe in the first term of a second Biden administration. If he gets Congress, then you could start talking about this being a real idea, but not going to happen in 23 or
1: 24. Yeah, well, good for us to talk about nonetheless. Guys, thank you. Ben, Eamon, we'll talk to you soon. You bet. All right. Up next, key levels to watch. Top technician Mark Newton says the charts are telling him to stay bullish on stocks. He'll tell us where he thinks they go from here. Overtime is right back. All right, we're back in overtime. Major Average is posting another day of declines. However, our next guest says the charts are calling for a near-term buying opportunity. Joining us now, Mark Newton. He's head of technical research at Fundstrat. Welcome back. Thank you. Bottom line from all this is that you remain bullish. 100%. 100%. Right? Look, I think that there's three main
11: things for investors to look at. One is that momentum and breadth have improved substantially in the last couple of months. The second is that we are in a seasonally a very bullish period. The pre-election year seasonality for the first quarter is better than any other of the 16 quarters that make up the presidential cycle. Hmm. The third is that we continue to see pretty excessively bearish sentiment across the board. Now we have to differentiate that. You juxtapose that. The near-term sentiment has gotten a little more optimistic. However, if we saw anything from recent reports of investor risk, people are very much on the sidelines. We're seeing very high levels of investor cash. Um, That makes me think that we are in very much a bull market that can continue. A bull market. So starting from the lows in October, this is a new bull market? I think the lows were put in in October. I don't think it will go necessarily straight up all year, but I think that we do see signs of technology now coming back with a vengeance in the last couple of weeks. Tech is now the third best-performing sector on the year, and that's obviously quite important, it being 27% of the S and P. Yeah, I know, but
1: why is it? Why is what, what leads you to believe that that has any staying power? I mean, that's that's the biggest debate in the market right now. Because almost
11: everybody is saying the exact same thing: the market is not getting the Fed's message, and that's really interesting to me. They all say that the market should be lower. They're trying to figure out how this market can rally. If anything, it's gone from extreme pessimism to now skepticism. We haven't reached bullishness yet. We haven't reached giddy-type feelings about the market. So, look, it's it's a market where the market's respecting inflation selling off sharply as well as a pivot potentially with the Fed, at least in the U.S., far more dramatically than what we'll see in Europe. Uh, the market certainly respects that, and cyclically, we're still doing quite well. So, so. so you're telling me that the value... Overgrowth move is over. It's done. That was it. Well, it's interesting because you see a lot of tech stocks are now com- been put into the value bucket, and a lot of energy stocks have been put into growth. So yeah, you have I know, to Really but you, understand, but, but you know more I broadly. I think energy what I'm is about. going to come back. I think both healthcare and energy have a chance of snapping back. But I also see technology as being a phenomenally, uh, you know, a good sector to position in for 2023. So I think what, interest rates continue to come down over the course of the year. Uh, That should fuel growth. I think growth comes back and uh, tech outperforms. You think the Fed cuts rates this year? I'm not a. I know you're not a funder. I know know that. But you can't have a view.
1: Your view doesn't work if rates continue to go up or at minimum stay where they are.
11: well, Well, rates haven't continued to go up. We've gone from 420 down to 340 in a very short period of time. We have a two day bounce. Uh, we're seeing evidence of rates pull back, not move dramatically higher. If rates get back to 4 percent, then I agree there's a very high correlation between treasuries and equities, and that likely could be problematic. Well, but, but that's before, to what before, we said before though, before, though, about the market and the Fed being off sides with one another. So let's take a look at the dollar and selling off substantially and say that Europe remains committed to hiking much more aggressively than the U.S. And that should be actually a bearish factor for why the dollar can sell off further and that likely is going to be a tailwind for U.S. equities along with rates pulling back. So those two reasons coupled with you know maybe the consumer is strong the labor market obviously is in good shape and Mm -hmm. maybe that's the last shoe to drop but uh, we haven't really seen any any strong evidence of that. Technically you know markets have been resilient and it's only been technology that has lagged. We're seeing substantial rallies in Europe, EM, China, Everywhere around the globe, except for U.S., and now technology is coming back. And cool. so investors are on the sidelines watching this happen, saying, well, how can this happen? Well, bottom line is we don't care about the economy. We care about the market, per se, right? They're both important in the long run. But we need to really recalibrate how we think about the market and, and using earnings as a way of forecasting the market, because rarely do they line up in the short term. Last year, we saw mark earnings higher, stocks went lower. Right. This year, earnings are down, stocks are up. So at what point do we say the, the model of seeing where earnings
1: are is truly the right way to look at the market? Just give me a number. I, gotta, I really got to go. We're at 4,100. Where are we going on the S&P then? Where the charts say? Well, a lot of it. My target is 4,500
11: by the end of the year. Okay. I think even in the short run by February expiration, we likely lift up above 4,200
1: in the near term. OK, great to see you. That's Mark Likewise. Newton joining us here. Coming up, we're tracking some big stock moves in overtime. Kate Rooney standing by with that. Kate.
8: Hey, Scott. So it's all about earnings today. Some disappointing results at an ed tech and a software company dragging down two stocks. But it's not all doom and gloom. We've got some green shoots as well with an upside earnings mover. We'll have all of that after the break. Closing bell overtime. We'll be right back.
1: We're tracking the biggest movers in OT. Kate Rooney is back with that. Hi, Kate.
8: Hey, Scott. So first up ch- uh, shares of ed tech company Chegg losing about a fifth of their value right now in overtime. That's despite Q4 earnings and revenue that topped the streets' expectations. Guidance, though, came in light. Q1 revenue and full-year revenue, both disappointing analysts and management, pointed to reduced enrollments and uncertain economic conditions, as well as subscriber growth problems. We'll hear more from Chegg CEO Dan Rosenzweig tomorrow on Closing Bell as well. Another decliner right now today, Scott. Zoom Info, the software company, in the red after posting Q4 earnings per share of $0.06 and revenue of some $300 million. Let's end on a positive note, though, with one name in the green. You already mentioned it, Skyworks. Earnings missed estimates. Revenue came in line, but current quarter guidance was also below estimates. We did get investors cheering a $2 billion buyback announcement, though, and that stock higher right now in overtime. Back to you, Scott.
1: All right. Kate Rooney, thank you very much. Still ahead, Santoli's last word. We'll find out what he is watching as we kick off Fresh Trading Week. OT is right back. let's get the results of our Twitter question. We asked you, was last October the bottom for stocks? The majority of you saying, yes, it was. Mike Santoli's next with his last word. All right, Mike Santoli here with his last word. You were just flagging some Bed Bath and Beyond headlines as you were coming up here. It
12: appears they filed offer some convertible preferred shares and warrants. Um, really just trying to capitalize on this little ferment out there. The stock was ripping today. Um, You know, this is probably the right thing to do for their own balance sheet. Now, they have some corporate debt, Bed Mm Bath does, Mm -hmm. trading below 10 cents on the dollar. So it's not as if this is going to be a way out to save the balance sheet ultimately, necessarily. But uh, what's interesting about convertible preferreds is that uh, it's kind of debt, it's convertible into equity. And if you have really juiced up a- options prices, there's kind of an embedded option in there. So it's the way to essentially, you know, capitalize the overexcitement of, of short-term traders. It's an AMC
1: type oh, of move. Short-term. It's only up 340% <laughs> exactly. a month. What are you talking yeah. about?
12: Yeah. I mean, obviously the reference point matters a lot here, but um it's wild. It's a really wild world here where the company has given you the warnings about, you know, they've already I guess, defaulted on certain paper, mm-hmm. and yet uh, there's enough excitement in the equity. Now, Hertz, remember, they, right. they tried to, to do a common stock offering into one of these type of situations mm-hmm. and it did,
1: right. didn't work. Although Tw- they had already filed. Less than 20 seconds, but looking ahead to Powell tomorrow. Yeah.
12: Uh, We're on alert for it already. Uh, I feel like he's just going to remind us the job isn't done. Uh, What's interesting to me is it could be the no landing scenario. So we'll see how he characterizes the growth picture.
1: We'll talk about it tomorrow. Yeah, that's Mike Santoli with his last word. I'll see you tomorrow as well. Fast Money's Now.
0: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you.